Welcome back for our main service. Today we are going to be in the book of Jonah, uh, looking at uh, lessons in obedience from Jonah. Uh, I know there's kind of a theme here, but uh, throughout all the services, but we are really just looking at uh, what it is to obey God and what happens when we don't. Today, we are going to be in lesson number three, starting in Jonah chapter one and verse number four. And we've already looked at uh, Jonah's call, his reason, what God had told him to do to arise and go to Nineveh and cry against it. Um, we know that Jonah hated the Ninevites. He hated the Sumerians, or not the Sumerians, the Assyrians, uh, which are what made up Nineveh. They were ruling over Jonah at this time, over Israel at this time, and, and they were wicked and evil people, and Jonah wanted them to be destroyed. Um, all of this, again, it ties back to our lessons in Judges, where Israel did not do their job and drive out the people that they were supposed to drive out. They did not uh, follow God and obey Him completely, so now we have all of this mixing. It's because of uh, their time with allowing the, the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Canaanites to dwell among them and dwelling among the others, uh, that it allowed them to be influenced and to be uh, carried away from God. And God, in His uh, desire to help, His desire to uh, want His children to be corrected, allowed others to come in and take them captive. Uh, we saw this with the Babylonians. We, we know this with the, the Assyrians. Um, so this is all because of the lack of obedience uh, way back then. And they're still, deal they're still dealing with it today. Uh, everything that is going on in Israel today, all the fighting uh, with the, the Palestinians, is all because they did not do what they were supposed to do. Uh, we understand that Israel, if they had done what God had told them to do, he would have given them the land that he had promised to Abraham, and that land actually stretches all the way over uh, to the Dead Sea, it's, to the Black Sea. It stretches over about ten times what Israel is today, and yet Israel is still just this small nation today. So, we're going to see here just one personal experience uh, from Jonah and his disobedience and what it gets him. Uh, so Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse number 4. This verse starts with my favorite word in the Bible, the word but. Um, it is, that three-letter word carries so much um, because it, it's a, it shows a change. It shows a difference. And I love it when it's in the context of, but God is doing something. And here we see, in Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 4, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea, to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him, and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. 
So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am in Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceeding afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Verse number 11, Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up, and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you again for preserving your word for us. For keeping it for all these years and allowing us to read it and understand it. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that the Holy Spirit that lives in us would reveal this text to us. And you would show us all of the things that we need to know. So God, please guide and direct today. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Back in verse number four, we see a world in peril. Uh, the, the merchants here, the, the sailors here, are a picture of the world. Uh, they are people who are not ignorant of God. Well, willingly ignorant of God. We're going to see that they know who God is. But they're choosing uh, to walk away from him. They're choosing to not serve him. They're trying to live their life in their own power. Here are these mariners, these men that have lived on the sea, that have made their living there, that have spent... These are not just your average people. These men are on the sea all day, every day. And they're afraid. Now... I'm not picking on my wife. I love my wife. I do. He's picking on <laughs> But when we drive, she's nervous. Especially when we were pulling the trailer, she's nervous. And we've gotten into some situations that are just scary. But it's something that we were doing, that, that we were... We, man, I think when we left in 2016, 2017, when we left, right before we left, I got a bunch of work done to the truck. It was at like 238,000 miles. And when we got back, we were at 305,000 miles. So we put somewhere around 70,000 miles on the truck in four years, five years. Most of that in the first three years when we were traveling all over the country. It was something that we were used to, that I was used to. I wasn't nearly as nervous, but she wasn't used to it. It's something different. These men were used to the sea. They were used to walking on the ship and feeling it sway back and forth and working and... and uh, having stuff move. I mean, they, they go down to, to pick something up and it slid away and they have to go get it and bring it back. I don't know. Brother Grant, it was probably different for you on the ship. Those ships were much bigger. You probably didn't have a whole lot of rocking and moving. No, sir. You, you were 
the smaller ships, yeah, aircraft carriers, not too much, but the smaller ship like I was on, we get into some heavy storms, man, that ship was a moving. Yeah. And remember one time I got seasick. <laughs> but for the most part, were you guys nervous? I mean, probably when you first got on the boat, you were nervous. On the ship, you were nervous. But after you'd been out there for months, you, oh, were, you, you, you were pretty well used to it. You had your sea legs. These are men that, that that's their entire life. And now their livelihood is the cargo that's on the ship that they're trying to take to Tarshish to be able to sell. They're casting it overboard. This trip is going to be for nothing, no matter what at this point. Because everything that they've, that's going to make them any money, they've just thrown into the sea. And yet, they're still praying. They're praying to their own gods. They're, they're praying to whatever they can think of except for the God of heaven. And we see that their gods, all the other gods of this world, are powerless. These gods that they're seeking have no power to calm the storm. Only the one who created the storm has the power to calm it. Mark 4 and verse number 39. We see God's power here. This is another time when the disciples are in a storm. They are, remember at this point, they are doing exactly what God has told them to do. They have gotten into the ship. They are going to the, to the other side. And Christ is asleep on a pillow below. And they go and they wake him. In verse number 39 it says, And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now, Brother Grant, you can confirm this for me, but typically when a storm rolls through, when you go through a storm, it doesn't just stop immediately. Um, it, it, it continues. Even, even after the storm is gone, the wind and the waves continue for a time. Yeah. I mean, out in the ocean, you're never going to get away from the, the waves. But uh, the, what they would call the stormy seas or, or the high seas would, would continue for a while. Mm -hmm. The danger is still there. In Mark, Christ just comes on to the deck and says, Peace be still, and it is dead calm. In 1 Kings... 18, this is uh, the story of Elijah, Elijah and Ahab. First Kings 18 and verse number 19. We won't go through the whole thing, but uh, for sake of time, I'll paraphrase a little bit. But Elijah is come before Ahab and he's warning against the things that Ahab is doing. And he says, bring me the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the groves. And, and we have this time where he takes the, has the, the, the 950 false prophets and he gives them a lamb and they build an altar and they don't put any fire of it. And he takes the lamb and he builds an altar and he doesn't put any fire under it. And the 950 false prophets, they call upon their gods from day until evening from morning until evening 
and I love God's sense of humor here. Um, in verse number 27, it says, And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awake. And they begin to cry louder. And they cut themselves and bleed all over the altar. But their false gods don't answer. And Elijah goes through and he, he builds the altar with 12 stones. He lays it in order the way God wants it. He, he lays the, the lamb on there the way God wants it. And, and he, he digs a trench. And he fills the trench with water and he dumps water all over the altar. I don't know if you've ever tried to start a fire with wet wood. It doesn't work. And he calls upon the name of the Lord once. And God brings the fire down from heaven and consumes the offering, consumes the altar, consumes the water and licks up the dust. That powerful God. But at the end, Elijah goes and he has them take the prophets and they kill all the prophets. And if we skip down to verse number 40, it said, Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Verse number 41, And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. At this point, Elijah had prayed three and a half years ago that God would not let it rain, and it hadn't rained for three and a half years. They were in the middle of a famine. And now, after this sacrifice, he tells Ahab, get up, eat. God's bringing the rain. God, our God, the God that we serve, is the all-powerful God. The God that... Jonah served is the all-powerful God, the creator of the universe. But because of Jonah's selfishness, not only is the world around him in peril, but he is in peril, and he's unaware. He's blissfully ignorant. Jonah was sound asleep in the bottom of the ship, completely unaware of the storm raging outside. He had no concern for the men on deck that were trying to bring the ship to port and save his life. The prophet of God had less compassion on the lost Gentile than the shipman did on the wayward prophet. We, uh, we've been praying for Gary. Uh, Gary Everton just passed this last week. And in the many conversations I've had with Jesse about him, Gary was a, he was an interesting guy. But he was generous. The first time I met Gary, um, I'd been working at Jesse's for a little bit. And he came in and, and I was asking, uh, because he knows the area really well, I was asking him where I could go and get some keys made. He said, well, just give it to me. Jesse goes, no, just, just give it to him. So he, I gave it to him, and he came back and had like four or five keys for me, copies for me. I said, how much do I owe you? He said, I oh, don't worry about it. This man is lost. 
he is in hell right now. I will 99% guarantee it. There's a small part of me that hopes that he read the track and that sometime in his last days when he was delirious that he made that confession in his heart. But the odds of that are very slim. I won't know till I get to heaven if he's there, but I truly believe right now that he's in hell. Yet, he went around doing things like that, not just for me, not just for Jesse, for everybody. He was a man that genuinely cared about those around him. And most Christians are like Jonah. I, I, it's interesting the things that God points out, but I, I looked over here a little bit ago and I saw the man on the corner... He's got Parkinson's and uh, normally rides around in a wheelchair, an electric wheelchair. And he's out with a weed eater, weed eating around his house. All hunched over, barely able to stand up straight. And I'm thinking, why did it have to be Sunday morning? Why did it have to be when we're getting ready for service? I should have sent the boys over. I should have. I was more worried about this. Jonah was so consumed with his pride and his hatred that he was asleep in the ship when the world around him is getting ready to perish. That world is searching. They realize someone's missing. The shipmaster sought out Jonah He's looking around. He's seeing all of his men doing what they're supposed to do, doing everything they can to bring the ship to port, to get it through the storm, and he realizes his passengers nowhere to be found. Everything they were trying was failing, and they needed help. They needed every man to pitch in. It's interesting here that as the shipmaster goes down and wakes up Jonah, he uses the proper name of God. In your King James Bible, the G is capitalized. That's God's proper name. This Gentile knew the name of God. And he knew that Jonah had something to do with that God. And yet, to him, Jonah was just like everybody else. He obviously knew something about, what, about Jonah and what he believed. He also doesn't demand that Jonah go and help row or throw things overboard. He simply demands that Jonah pray to his God. They need help. They need physical help. And he's telling Jonah to pray. Very interesting here. And then we see something that I still... The only thing I can understand about this, this next step that these men take is that they know and understand this is not a natural storm. They said, let's cast lots and find out whose fault this is. Now, I don't know about you. Brother, you've been in many storms in your life. I've been through many. 
tornadoes, hurricanes, very rarely do I look at a tornado coming and go, I wonder whose fault that is. I mean, even the storms in my own life, the, the hardships in my own life, I, I don't look at it and go, man, whose fault is that? These men see this storm and understand that it's not a natural storm. It's not your everyday run-of-the-mill hurricane. There's something weird here. This is supernatural. And they said, okay, let's cast lots. Let's figure out whose fault this is. And of course, Jonah gets caught in the act. This is like, uh, well, you guys probably never drew straws. You probably drew straws. Drawing straws for who had to go. You guys might know rock, paper, scissors, Rochambeau. This is something similar to that. We don't know exactly what they did, but whatever they did showed up that Jonah was the one at fault. That Jonah was the reason for everything going on. Now, imagine being those guys. Imagine being those guys in the middle of the storm. They've just thrown everything that's going to make them any money off the ship. The ship is getting ready to sink. And they find out it's Jonah's fault. What would you do? I'm just going to be honest. What would you do? I'd be laying hands on somebody. I, I wouldn't do what they did. <laughs> they, they find out that it's Jonah's fault and they said, what should we do? <clears throat> Again, the world has more care and concern for Jonah than Jonah does for them. They ask Jonah, what should we do? And Jonah says, throw me overboard. Kill me. Commit murder. And what do the, the mariners do? They grab the oars and start trying to row to shore. They don't want to kill Jonah even though they should. In all of this, Jonah still has refused to pray. The one thing that the shipmaster asked him to do, he's refused to do. Now, Brother Grant, just because you were in the Navy, who was the ultimate authority on your ship? Oh, the captain. The captain. And, and he had authority. It wasn't just he was the boss. He had legal authority yes. over the ship. I mean, he could, well, and not in your guys' case because you were all men on board, but he could marry, right? Most captains on ships can perform marriages. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's like their own sovereign land. They are the authority. They can throw people in jail. I mean, they're it. And here, not only is Jonah disobeying God, which is huge, but he's disobeying a physical captain in front of him saying, do this, and he's refusing. So the captain has the right to throw him overboard. The captain has the right to kill him. And he's still won't 
Jonah could have told these men to do anything at this point. He could have said, turn the ship around and take me back. And they would have turned around and taken him back and they would have carried him all the way to Nineveh. And yet, he says, throw me overboard. He's still trying to escape God. This brings to mind, uh, we've been praying for Scotty and Christina. And they're, they're going through a tough time. But even in all that they're going through, they're still not there yet. Jonah is going through this amazingly horrific, traumatic time, and he still has his selfish pride and his hatred that he's hanging on to for dear life. I mean, we're going to see just a preview. We're going to see the rest of chapter 1. They throw him overboard. And the, the fish swallows him. And it's not until he's inside the fish actually going to die that he finally prays to God. And then when you read his prayer, it doesn't sound like a man that's, that's dying. It doesn't sound like a man that's seeking God's forgiveness. It sounds like a man that's got his arm twisted behind his back and he's saying, okay, I've had enough, I'll do what you told me to do. There, there's a joke uh, about a, a little boy that always liked to stand up in class and the teacher would tell him to sit down. Finally, one day, um, the teacher got mad and, and made him sit down. He said, fine, I'm going to sit down, but I'm standing up in my heart. That's Jonah. Jonah says, fine, I'll go to Nineveh. But in my heart, I'm still in Tarshish. I'll go tell them what you told me to tell them. But I don't believe it. I'm not going to put any effort into it. Jonah's cold heart at this moment can only think about getting away from God. He has no concern. Again, he has no concern for the men that are on the boat. He's telling them to commit murder. Even the lost world knows that sin is that murder is sin, that murder is wrong. And yet he's telling them to throw him overboard so they can save themselves. And I don't believe at this point that Jonah knows that if he goes overboard that the storm's going to stop. I really think he just wants it to be over. He has no idea that the Lord will still, will still the storm after he's off the ship. So he's willing to have these men commit murder and still be in a storm. He's a selfish coward. I'm going to stop here for today because there's, there's so much more in this. But I want you to think about this, about this this week as we go through a week we talked about it in Sunday school a little bit but what is keeping you 
from serving God completely? What is in your life, what are you holding on to that is keeping you in the middle of the storm? God doesn't ask for much. He just asks to get what he paid for. He paid for you. He paid for me. He didn't just pay for my big toe. He paid for all of me. I wish I could stand here today and say that I'm perfect. I wish I could. But I'm not. I wish I could stand here today and say that this has nothing, this message has nothing to do with me. That I've arrived. I'm exactly doing everything, crossing every T and dotting every I that God wants me to do. I about said crossing every I and dotting every T. That's more like what I'm doing. But I'm not. But this week, again, let's seek God's face and have Him reveal to us those things that are keeping us back, those things that are keeping this revival fire from starting. And let's give Him what He paid for. All of us. The whole thing. Without hesitation, without fail. We're going to pick this up again next week and we're going to see what happens with Jonah, but you all know the story. He ends up going to Nineveh. And even in his half-hearted obedience, the entire city is saved. Imagine what would have happened if he had done it willingly, wholeheartedly, completely. Again, what we do in moderation, our children will do it in excess. What our leaders do in moderation, the followers do in excess. Imagine what could have come if Jonah would have just given it all. Imagine what can be here if we'll give it all.